Hello everyone and welcome to Dairy Pod. I'm Rory McDonald from the Dairy Australia Farm Team. We are really excited today to bring you this episode, which features dairy farmer Justin Walsh, who is located near Nowra on the south coast of New South Wales. Despite the challenges of drought and extreme weather conditions, Justin and his family have built a hugely profitable dairy farming enterprise over the last few seasons. Last year, Justin had an earnings before interest in tax, or EBIT, of over $3.50 per kilogram of milk solids. To put that in context, that equates to around $2,000 per cow of profit on Justin's farm. It's a level of financial performance that puts Justin firmly in the very top level of profitable dairy farms nationwide, not just in New South Wales. It's quite an amazing result actually, and even more so when you consider Justin put in less work last year on the farm than he has ever done before. Unsurprisingly, there is no one silver bullet responsible for his success. Justin has been picking the brains of good farmers, reassessing his farm business, getting the big picture settings right, and looking to find the source of problems on the farm early and proactively. He's also got a really good handle on cost control and optimising grazed pasture, whilst also knowing when to use supplements efficiently and profitably. Dairy New South Wales Regional Extension Officer Greg Duncan caught up with Justin on his South Coast farm to find out more about how this young farmer is working less and making more money. Justin, give us a little bit of background on uh, what sort of farm you operate here. Yeah, thanks Greg. Um, Currently we're milking 280 cows in a pasture-based system with grain in the dairy and um, we've got a stocking rate of about 2.1 cows a hectare and we feed I suppose a probably moderate to high level of concentrate somewhere in the you know 2.2 2.6 tonnes per cow uh, per year and uh, there we're producing about 560 kilos of milk solids per cow what we did last year and calving a twice well twice a year or split calving system which uh, I'm sure we'll get into later, but that wasn't always the case. Yeah, gotcha. Tell me a bit about uh, the pasture base here and um, seasonality, rainfall and reliability and that sort of stuff. Yeah, so that's obviously pretty critical to what we do. So we're, we sow annual Italians. Um, we've added oats into the mix recently or the last couple of years, uh, which has been a new addition. And then we graze Kaikyu over the summertime period. So, um, yeah, and then... Rainfall-wise, um, autumn's uh, when we get most of our rain. Um, we get some rain in spring, obviously, but it's far less reliable and can be pretty uh, hit and miss when it comes to spring rainfall. I know you are uh, described yourself as a passionate cowman. Um, tell us a bit about the herd. Well, the herd, um, uh, some people will know me um, from our show ring success I suppose we've sort of had a lot of stud cattle in the past but um, that's sort of more or less a hobby as opposed to um, the real uh, business I suppose of milking cows so the herd sort of transformed over the years a little bit but uh, it's something we're constantly tinkering tinkering with Um, yeah I'm not sure I'd say for me personally, the jury's still out on where we're heading with the herd, but we're sort of trying to look for a more efficient cow, I guess. You've been farming for, for a few years now, Justin. You've actually been on a bit of a journey uh, over that period of time, uh, and, and not just uh, the cow type, but uh, the instigation of your own farm business and, and um, you know, sitting here in uh, the beautiful South Coast. So just tell us a little bit about that journey. How did we get to this point? So, well, yes, that's all right, Greg. So uh, we're 
We're milking on our, well, my family farm. So it was previously my mum and dad uh, running the farm. And then in 2016, we did a business transition and uh, my wife and I started leasing the farm from my parents. And so we've been running, oh, responsible for the, essentially we're responsible for the business of milking cows and we lease the majority of the farm from our parents. And um, did you always see yourself as a dairy farmer? No, no. I, when I uh, finished uni, I assumed that I wouldn't be milking cows. Um, but at the time, the idea of coming back onto the family farm ticked a lot of boxes uh, for me in terms of job prospects. Uh, I loved living on the south coast as well, so uh, I didn't really want to move out of the area. And... Um, yeah, when I sort of looked at it, I thought there was a pretty big opportunity here on the family farm to try and uh, do something for ourselves down the track. So you've just finished uh, two years as uh, Dairy New South Wales Focus Farm. Just tell me a little bit about um, how you see your university studies now and, and potentially how that's got you uh, thinking a bit more about what a profitable farm business looks like. Yeah, I think it's um, uh, thinking about it when I think back on to, I didn't actually want to go to uni and do ag science at the time. I, I was uh, really didn't want to do that actually. I thought I'd just step into the family farm and continue on. But I think um, going, having a break from the family farm and going to university um, was uh, in hindsight a really good decision because it sort of, uh, aside from what we learned at uni, it sort of taught me, I guess, to think critically about um, the decisions we were making on the farm. So when we came, when I came back from university or finished university, I should say, um, it sort of was a bit of a, um, it gave me a break in an opportunity to sort of critically analyse what we're actually doing rather than I think if I hadn't gone to university, I would have fallen into the trap of just continuing on the way things were without, you know, stepping back and taking a look at that bigger picture. So, so fast forward from that, um, I, it's a sort of a theme that I've sort of continued on, I think, as, as we've progressed in our journey here on the farm in that we're sort of constantly looking at the bigger picture and then I guess the focus farm opportunity came up for the focus farm at the perfect time where we were sort of just had just taken over and um, we wanted to look at, you know, obviously ways we can improve, but, but, but it gave us another opportunity to look at the big picture, zoom out and say, okay, what do we actually want out of this farm? How should it be run? And, and really um, look at those big settings and whether, the, whether we had them right and then take the opportunity to work on those uh, because we could see value in them. Yeah, look, I can absolutely see where you're coming from. I guess um, what I want to know, though, is a little bit about what's changed um, now versus maybe how you saw opportunities in the dairy industry even three to five years ago. Well, the dairy industry itself is uh, quite a dynamic beast at the moment, but um, I think there's plenty of opportunities. It's certainly harder than it was um, to be a dairy farmer, I think. Um, uh, and when I say that, I, I sort of imply to run a dairy business as well. So that's probably been the main opportunity I could see that sort of moving from the technical side of dairy farming to running our own business, uh, be it, you know, and this just happens to be a dairy business. And I think a lot of the principles we apply, but 
apply to all businesses. So I think that the opportunities are there, um, uh, but they are getting harder, I would suspect. So, um, yeah, I still think that in terms of young people in the dairy industry, I don't know of a better wealth creation device than the dairy industry. And um, I certainly have... uh, It surprises me when I hear people talk uh negatively about that but i think that um in terms of young people it's i don't know of a better uh, industry to create wealth in so what you're telling me is the opportunities are real yeah definitely and uh, i think that um i guess our journey's been that we thought the opportunity was there and i guess when we dive into these figures a bit later here greg that um you know it's a real opportunity and, and it's and it's come to realization for us and and um, yeah, I think that uh, there's there's definitely opportunities for other people to follow the same path. As far as the opportunities being real, would you say that you are now operating a profitable dairy business? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, yeah, we're quite... Pro- we, last year was obviously a very profitable year for us. So I think we ended up with somewhere in the order of a $3.50 EBIT um, per kilo milk solids or just over $2,000 a cow, um, which uh, probably exceeded our expectations. But um we could sort of see it coming and we'd made a lot of incremental improvements and or and not so some big improvements that weren't quite so incremental as well to achieve that and um yeah we'd like to think that that wasn't a flash in the pan and and we'd be able to continue that going forward and and obviously there's still areas that we could work on for sure so i just want to pull you up there i mean you've just indicated you've had a highly profitable year but uh i for one know how difficult the seasonal conditions have been here on the south coast and across uh, many parts of the dairy industry we've had uh prolonged drought uh a summer of incredible bushfires more recently uh some flooding rains um you're telling me that you've managed to run a profitable business through some of those conditions yeah that's right greg i think that um uh, what we strive to do is have a business that can cope with those things. So um, having a low cost of production is is critical to that. So uh, we have a business uh, model where we, we're, we're trying to walk the tightrope of risk, uh, of being avoiding risk, but also maximising profit at the same time. So I think that um, our system... Uh, some uh, our system where we want to drive as much directly grazed pasture into the cows um, and supplement them with grain and even though the grain price was high we had a good milk price to grain price ratio this year which meant that producing marginal milk was still profitable so we um, our systems deliberately set up that way to be able to deal with these sorts of events uh, as best we can. But yeah, you're right. We did have a good year last year despite all the challenges. So you've used a few terms there about EBIT, uh, cost of production, uh, grain price to milk price ratio. Have you always thought that way? Have you always used these terms? I mean, what's that journey been like? No, uh, I've had to basically learn a whole new language about how to speak about um, dairy business. Um, and going back even five years ago, I probably wouldn't uh, use those terms. And if I did, certainly not with the confidence I uh, do now and the understanding I do now. So 
Um, for anyone who's listening to this who might be a bit daunted by some of the things that we might be discussing, I wouldn't, don't be disheartened. I mean, it's been a pretty steep learning curve for myself to get to where we are today. So you mentioned a low cost of production. What is that? How do you achieve it? Uh, what, what keeps you awake at night? Well, the most important thing is to remember about low cost of production is it's not the lowest cost of production. You're not trying to achieve the lowest cost of production. You're trying to have a, a low cost of production. So um, basically, we want to be under $6 um, or somewhere in the 550 range or in the low fives, it'd be, it'd be good. Uh, we didn't quite get there last year, but that was mainly driven by the grain price. Um, it's really hard to have a low cost of production, obviously, when the grain price is so high. But um, yeah, we we sort of uh, we want to be in that low fives um, uh, in, the, in in a normal season. We'd obviously we'd like to be in a, in a, in the low five dollars. So I think in our system where our milk price is relatively high. Uh, any lower than that, we're probably missing the opportunity for, on marginal milk because um, we have shown and, and know that there's, there is a reasonable return to be made by feeding our cows at, at least a moderate level of grain most years. So you've mentioned marginal milk. What is that? Well, basically, the, the simple way which I uh, um, think about it is that it's where you're buying a product, uh, you're going to feed it to your cows and you're going to hope to sell that milk and make a margin on it. So that might be concentrates, that might be hay, any any purchase, any non-home grain feed, I guess, would be considered... The milk that's a, as a result of feeding that would, is what I would consider marginal milk. So given the variability in uh, rainfall and grass growth here on the south coast, how, how do you manage your reliance on brought-in feeds? What sorts of things do you do to, to ensure that you've got supply and, and manage price? So, this, uh, so where this all starts, it goes back to when we talked about how we, well, we moved to split calving or twice-year calving. So... What we're trying to do with that is we want to match our calving pattern with our grass growth. Uh, so we have peaks in grass growth in autumn and spring. So we obviously would like to be milking our maximum amount of cows in those times. So that then means that we can directly graze a high portion of our um, home-grown feed. And obviously, we'd like, in our system, we'd like that to be over 70% of the feed we grow, we want the cows to eat themselves. So, because that's obviously our lowest, um, cheapest feed is the home-grown feed. You know, and then it's because as soon, even if we make our own silage, we're adding, we might add $100 a tonne uh, cost to that pasture the moment we decide we're going to cut it for silage. Now, there is the opportunity cost of not making silage when you have excess feed, you don't want to waste it. Um, so, but the closer we can match our calving pattern to our um, grass growth or our grass you know, pasture production over the course of the year, um, the better off we can drive our uh, feed costs down, our efficiency up. And, and obviously our profit as well is linked to that. So it's really just a cycle and you can never obviously predict the seasons perfectly, but you you know look at long-term averages and things like that. And, and, it, and each area will be different uh, to a certain extent about uh, when they can grow grass and, and conversely when they should milk cows. 
Good stuff. So you, you mentioned Focus Farm earlier, and we had the benefit of having uh, John Mulvaney involved over that two-year period. Um, John often talks about the big settings, as you've touched on as well. Just in regard to, to your EBIT, um, there, was a, there was a figure that John has used to challenge you in the past, which used to scare you a bit in the early days, didn't it? Uh, the, the $2 a kilo, uh, how do you feel about that uh, now and, and maybe back then? Well, it, from where we started, at, at, at best we were doing in the 50 cents, 70 cents um, EBIT uh, per kilo milk solids, like historically. Uh, $2 seemed like a long way off. But, uh, and so it was a bit daunting to think that we could uh, achieve that in basically two years, uh, really. And um, uh, I, I guess personally, I was helped out by knowing other far, uh, well, one farmer in particular in the area who was already doing that. So having, knowing that it was possible is what sort of spurred us on to chase it. So um, yeah, to get, to aim for two dollars and end up at say three dollars fifty is obviously um, yeah a fantastic result. So um, yeah, we uh, I guess John secretly thought that two dollars was fairly conservative, but we wanted to make an achievable goal. I guess so. Um, yeah, so like to yeah, I mean the result last year was great, but um, uh, certainly plenty of things we could have done better last year and hope to do better in the future. But um, one thing one thing I do need to learn to do is actually uh, maybe stop and say, yeah, that was pretty good rather than nitpicking the holes in it. I reckon that's a really good point, Justin. Um, and I know one thing that has changed uh, over the last couple of years is actually your cow type. Uh, tell us a little bit about um, how that's changed, why it's changed and what impact that, that that's had. Yeah, well, really, in our system now, where we have um, where we've moved away from year-round calving to uh, you know twice a year calving in March and August, we really need the cows. We want an efficient, fertile cow, so we're putting a lot of pressure on our cows um, because fertility is one of the areas that we um, certainly could improve in, and and it would actually help out our our whole system if our cows were more, more fertile. So. We're putting a lot of pressure on the cows by culling pretty, um, you know, we're pretty uh, culling pretty heavily on infertile cows and then also using high fertility bulls. So we're sort of attacking it from both ends, and we certainly see that as a way of, um, yeah, as 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 a, as a I guess a low hanging fruit of something that we could improve. That that will take time, but um, yeah, it's certainly an area that uh, we think we'll get a good, big reward out of when we if we can never tick that off our list. Could I zoom back out again and uh, just touch on uh, your thoughts on on what is um, the words around profitable culture in the dairy industry? Uh, do you do you sort of reflect back and think, um, gee, uh, I knew I could be this successful and 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 feel the same out of other farmers in the region? Um, tell me a bit about that. Yeah, I think that um, one of the things. Uh, I did make a point and still do make a point of doing it is try and visit profitable farmers uh, or speak to profitable farmers and, and go to the open days. I mean, most of um, what we've done, I've seen somewhere else and then adapted it to our farm. So, um, you know, the split going, moving to split carving, we saw it an open day at Glasses and I thought that made sense. Why it makes sense for us. And then, 
uh, one of the things we, when we went to uh, kids uh, down at uh, Finlay and um, I, it's all right to know that profitable farms are out there, but you really need to go and see it. So for me, just to go to a farm like that that was obviously being successful, it just sort of hammered home the point that you know, I come away and, I, and to be honest, I was pretty angry actually. I was just yeah. angry because I thought I've been so misled by the dairy industry. Like I just, you know, I thought things need to change. Like um, the culture of the industry, particularly in our area, um, I, it wasn't doing, I don't think it was helping anyone. So long term so and i thought there's a tremendous opportunity here and it's sort of uh i as i say i was sort of it's all good and well to see these fantastic figures of farms that are performing well but how do they actually achieve that you know that's that's that was where you know the rubber hits the road like going to see what these farms look like and what they're doing um and then sort of saying and not everything you see at a farm applies to your farm you've got to um you know, pick and choose a little bit about what will and won't work practically. So, um, so yeah, so I think that I'd like to think the culture was changing. And I think that as the younger generation uh, move into uh, decision-making roles on farms, I, I'd like to think that they um, uh, have the drive to, um, uh, have the drive to make change and that, and that making money um is not a bad thing we shouldn't be afraid of it so um you know it's sort of um you do dairy farming is too hard not to make any money out of it so i think that i mean in our case we made the most money we made last year and we did the least amount of work so you know it sort of goes hand in hand in my opinion that um yeah changing and and it was the system change that drove that so what you're telling me is that um, you, you've also focused on your own culture over time. Uh, I, I know you've been involved in a number of different programs. You've obviously traveled around a, a lot of farms to, to get their sense on things. What sorts of things do you think have influenced your practice change on farm um, the most over the years, whether it's something feed-based related or um, farm related? Yeah, well, I think that the the key when I uh, finished uni, the main area that I thought we could improve on is our um, pasture production. So we did have a history of um, uh, eating our grass that we produced, but we just weren't growing enough of it. So pastures for profit uh, really revolutionised how we run run this farm or or managed our pasture. So. It's been a fantastic, and to this day, I still religiously use the tool and the, and the rotation right tool because I, I just find it so um, reassuring or easy to use. And um, yeah, I it's been a game changer for us in our, and, and, and conversely, we have actually doubled our dry matter production in the last four years since we've sort of, um, obviously it's hard to say that one particular thing was the driving force for that. But yeah, pastures for profit is, um, high, personally, I'd highly recommend it to anyone who's serious about, um, you know, trying to make change in, in the way they manage their pastures. What does that look like at the farm level though, Justin, as far as the, the way you grow and manage and graze the feed? Just a few uh, top tips there. Well, 
it's really a matter of understanding what you're trying to achieve. So we're, we're trying to be efficient and profitable over the course of the year. So rather than looking at one paddock or one grazing, or, or it's, it's running the whole farm as a system. So, um, you know, if you make a mistake one day and you don't do anything about it, it'll just you know, accumulate and accumulate and accumulate. And then eventually you're going to have to deal with it and you will have lost a lot of money along the way. So it's just a matter of just keeping your finger on the pulse, um, managing it sort of on a daily basis, really, in part when it comes to pasture, because, um, yeah, it's sort of, um, it's, it's sort of ingrained in our system now, but it's, it's, um, it's definitely something that I'd encourage everyone to do. So you mentioned, um, you mentioned you've had a, a highly profitable, um, period uh you also mentioned that um you, you're interested in your work-life balance uh you've, you've got a wife and a daughter um how do you see the the, the level of um labor that you put into the farm and 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 how do you see having a profitable farm business has, has influenced uh the, the amount of work that you have to do yeah so i think that um what the main thing was we needed we definitely need to simplify our system so when we're talking about simple systems, I guess um, what I'm, what I guess an analogy I like to use is that when um, years ago the farm I guess was like a, a bit like an old car, and that you had to know how to get it started. You had to kick the door to open the door, and then hit the bonnet three times, and then pump the accelerator and turn the key backwards, and and then hopefully it all started. And what we're trying to really do is get rid of all that so that. Um, we can now press a few buttons or and things will work and so we're trying to move away from constantly putting out spot fires to um, actually uh, putting procedures or um, policies in place where we can sort of as much as possible prevent uh, wasting our time on on those sorts of um, you know being in crisis mode the whole time you know, rather than trying to you know get in front of it so it simplify by simplifying the process you can simplify your planning simplify your labor those sorts of things yeah exactly and 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 what i want to do is uh be able to have employees uh within reason be able to do those tasks so that then frees me up to a certain extent um because um I, you know, it's not just about farming. There's the work-life balance. It's it's critically important to me and my family. So, um, if if we ever got to the stage where we couldn't achieve that, I I don't think I'd keep going. But I think that um, the improvements we've made and some of the capital investments we've made at trying to reduce um, not only the cost, uh, variable cost of reduction also simplifying and streamlining those tasks as well as much as possible. So tell me this, Justin, are you dictated to by the business or do you dictate to the business? Well, I, well, definitely. I used to always say it's important to remember that the cows work for us and not the other way around. And I think that um, I now sort of say, well, you know, we can, you got to remember that you control your business. The business doesn't control you. And um, one of the things about being a profitable business is money is just money, but it um, certainly gives you options. And um, with it, it's a very, um, it's a very uh, refreshing or, or uh, position to be in to have those options. You know, it's it's certainly a 
Um, it's not something we take for granted because it's a lot of hard work that's gone into it, but um, we certainly can see the benefits and, and it's definitely a, a sort of privileged position to be in to be able to then make decisions based on, you know, not necessarily always a financial one because you've got the business in a position that it, it can perform well. Beautiful. Uh, you also have a bit of a philosophy that you've developed over the years, haven't you, mate? Uh, what's that about? Well, yeah, that's a good question. So that's what I call the four stages of farming. So, uh, or and it probably applies to all businesses too, but it's, it's first stage is you don't know you've got a problem uh, at all. And then uh, second stage is you know you've got a problem, but you're ignoring it. And then uh, third stage is you know you've got a problem and you're gonna throw us some money at it to try and fix it. And then the fourth stage, which is where you wanna be uh, as much as possible is why do we even have this problem to begin with? So an example of that, I, I would say the repro story on our farm is probably an example of that where we, you know, going back 10 years, we probably didn't even know we were developing a repro problem. It was sort of un, under the radar and then we sort of knew we had a repro problem, but because we we're in year round carving system, we was, it was probably hidden and we were ignoring it. And then um, yeah, we got to the third stage where we thought we'd invest in some collars and a draft gate, etc., some things to help us out, which have been good. But um, now we've sort of got to the stage where why do we even have this problem? So we've got this problem because our cow, we've got a fertility problem. So we should focus on fixing the actual root cause rather than, um, you know, spending our time and money, you know, you know, trying to, trying to fix a problem uh, rather than going right back to the start. You've come full circle, hey? Funny how that happens in uh, dairy farming. Yeah, exactly. It's, it, it, and it's a, you know, that sort of, uh, and, and that's how I like, I guess I'd, I guess one of the things I do is try and critically analyse when we do have problems, is why are we actually having these problems? And, and can we go right back to the start? And, and that goes back to those big settings, Greg, in that, you know, why are we feeding so much silage? Why are we buying so much hay? Well, we haven't got our carving patterns that suits our farm. So I think that getting the big settings right, and you can, you can tinker with little settings all the time, but it's going to make not much difference if your big settings aren't right. Good point. So recently, uh, you've given an overview of the big settings in uh, your farm business at a, at a recent conference. What was that about, Justin? Well, it was really about um, the, the balance between being profitable and managing risks. So yeah, so we had the four big settings, which were you know pasture growth, what we're feeding our cows, stocking rate, and um, calving pattern. So. Uh, unless you have those things right and appropriate for your farm, all the little settings uh, aren't going to amount to much. So you can make some pretty significant gains like we have by just, um, um, you know, adjusting those big settings, which I, which I think are, really are the low-hanging fruit that are out there for most farms because to tinker or to change those four settings, it, it really doesn't require a lot of investment so or a lot of capital investment. So it's the sort of thing that most farms could probably do um, to a certain extent without much, uh, you know, money invested. Obviously, there's time and work that goes into changing things. But, um, yeah, I think it could be very financially rewarding and it has been for us. Perfect, Justin. And we're about at the, uh, the end of things. Um, I'm just interested, though, uh, you're not that old, but you've, you've been on a bit of a journey. Um, what advice would you give a, a younger Justin Walsh? 
I'd say stop stuffing around too much. Take your take it seriously. Um, you know, life's short. Yeah, and dairy farm is a young person's game. So you know, you really need to think about things like that. So um, one of the things that I try and would tell myself is that always be aware in the situation you're in. In that. Um, be it if you're working on a farm or you're running your own farm or share farming or leasing or or whatever the situation may be, always keep in mind that if this goes to the poo, what am I left with? Or, you know, what's what's mine? And or another thing that's and I don't mean to, you know, get all heavy on you, Greg, here, but like if something tragic happened to to me or my family, what where would that leave the rest of my family? So you know, like I just think that it's so critically important and, um, you know, that uh, you just keep those things in the back of your mind that, you know, sometimes these things do happen and, and the position it might leave other people in. So I think that as long as you, you need to make sure when you're a young person that what you're being paid or, or however that is, um, is a fair reflection of your uh firstly your work or, or the work you're putting in and and the risks you're taking so if you're taking significant risks you want to make sure you're in a position where you're rewarded for that so um i'm not trying to start fights with anyone here but i think that it is critical that um certainly young people can at least consider that because uh it can become an issue and that's a good point. So just to finish things up, uh, you, you know, you've indicated that um, you, you've been on a, quite a journey over the last few years. You, the business has really turned around. Um, do you think other farmers could do this too? Oh, definitely. There's no doubt in my mind. I think that, um, yeah, I, I don't think that we have done anything here that other farmers couldn't do. I think that sometimes we uh, get into the trap of, you know, when's enough enough? So, you know, like we've been a profitable business, um, obviously last year was an outstanding result, but, you know, like I think that we can fall into, you've got to be very conscious not to fall into the trap of to keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing because, um, you know, we might uh, tip over the other side and start going backwards. So it's just finding that delicate balance. But I really think there is, as I've said, some low hanging fruit out there that, um, you know, farmers could easily take advantage of um, that would have some pretty significant gains for them. That's perfect, Justin. Uh, just want to thank you for your, your time and thoughts that you've shared uh, through this dairy pod and uh, all the best of luck uh, to the future for you, Libby and Ella. No worries. Thanks for that, Greg. Thanks to Greg and Justin. A special word of thanks to Justin for being so open with his financial performance and willing to share his data. It's great to hear a success story like this, and what really struck home with me was how there is no one thing Justin is especially focused on, and therefore there is no reason this level of performance is not within the reach of most dairy farmers. You would have heard Justin mention the improvements he made through feeding pastures for profit. If you're interested in doing the same course, then contact your regional development program and they will let you know when there's one coming up. Our Farm Our Plan is another great program that's helping farmers assess where their business is at and where they want it to be. Go to dairyaustralia.com.au forward slash OFOP. Well, that's it for this episode. You can find other Dairy Pod episodes on SoundCloud or subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and now on Spotify. Thanks for listening. Until next time, bye for now.